so how do we live free of the desires of the flesh? And when, when we talk about the flesh in the Bible, the, the flesh is not talking about your skin and bones, your flesh. <laughs> in the Bible, the flesh is your ego. It's your natural man. It's your natural tendencies, the things that you just do naturally, lie, cheat, steal, jealousy, envy, factions, hatred, those things that just are part of our nature. It's our fallen nature. It's our sin nature, but it comes to us easily. So those things, jealousy, sin, lust, anger, factions, division, discord, all kinds of relational strife, marriage problems, kid problems, family problems. How can we confidently as followers of Christ walk in the spirit and consistently overcome sin? You want to do, anybody want to do that? You want to overcome sin? Three people. Okay, well, uh, maybe I was a little anxious about this sermon. Okay. Uh, the only way to really overcome sin, this, work, this works 100% for everybody, is to be dead. Because that's the only, that's the only time when, you're natural, when you will not be at war with your natural tendencies. As long as you are alive, as long as there's breath in you, you will struggle. That's because we're flesh. The only way to, for it to really be over is for us to be in the presence of the Lord. So, since we're not dead yet, and I'm glad about that. Are you glad about that? I'm glad I'm not dead yet. Uh, it's good to not be dead. I, you know, that was just kind of an insight to me because when we were in Colorado last year, I was kind of complaining to God about, you know, because I, you know, it's up in the altitude and, and, uh, everybody was climbing stuff and I really wasn't, wasn't doing too good about climbing and stuff. My knee was bothering me and I was, you know, and, uh, I was kind of whining. You ever do that? It's kind of complaining and God said, better than being dead. Old is better than dead. So, so how do we how do we how do we walk in the spirit? How do we how do we deal with this? Paul lays out the struggle in Galatians chapter five. We're in Galatians, verse sixteen through eighteen. But I say, walk in by the spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. So he says, if you'll just walk in the spirit, you won't do what the flesh wants to do. For the flesh sets its desire against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. So you don't do fully what you would do walking in the spirit. You don't do what you would do walking in the flesh. You're, in other words, you don't do either one well. That's the thing about being a Christian. Once you become a Christian, you, you're not as good a sinner as you used to be. You can still sin, you can still sin, but you won't be happy about it because you'll be convicted about it. The Spirit of God will say, no, nah, you shouldn't have done that. You, were, you shouldn't have had that attitude. Uh, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. In, in Romans chapter 7, Paul said another way, he said, our members 
our, of our body, our, our spiritual body and our fleshly body are at war with one another. So he says, okay, this is the struggle. So how do you overcome sin in the flesh? Paul says, walk by the Spirit. You got it? All right, let's pray. So we got, we, I mean, okay, walk by the Spirit, which sounds kind of spooky. So the problem that we often struggle with is not knowing that, yeah, that's what we should be doing. We don't know how to do it. So how do we walk by the Spirit? How do we live our life instead of yielding to the flesh Yielding to the Spirit. How do we crucify the flesh? The Bible uses this term a lot of times. Paul uses this term a lot of times. Crucify the flesh, which means that the flesh is dead. But the flesh isn't dead. The flesh is very much alive until you're dead. So how do we walk in the Spirit? Well, this is the secret, is that, and we have to figure out how this works out, but this is, this is the, the secret we have to depend on the complete work of Christ and not our works. We have to depend on Jesus and not ourselves. Galatians 5.2 Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. And everybody said amen to that. And you're like, okay, okay. All right, I don't know why it says that, but I'm okay with it. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. You have been severed from Christ. Nice play on words there, Paul. Uh, (laughs) You who are seeking to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. Have you heard that term before? Fallen from grace? For we, through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. Now, I think that circumcision is a difficult concept for us to relate to. I'm, don't you? Are you afraid to say anything? <laughs> now, it was precious to the Jews because it, it was, in, in a sense, it helped them to, to define their national identity. It was, it was part of the Abraham, Abrahamic covenant that God made with Abraham. This is before the law. God made a covenant with Abraham. He said, the sign, here's what you're going to do. I'm going to do everything in the covenant. I'm going to do everything. Here's what you're going to do. To show that you're in the covenant, you're going to get circumcised. So that was, to the Jews, it set them apart. The Greeks didn't do it. The Romans didn't do it. No other, no other people circumcised except the Jews. There were a few that, in, a few of the priests in the temples would castrate themselves. And some would be made eunuchs, which is the same thing. 
So Paul says at one point, he said, those of you that are, that are wanting you to get circumcised, I wish they would go ahead and go all the way and go ahead and castrate themselves. So it's, it, to the Jews, it has, it, it's being tied into their national identity. So these Judaizers have come down uh, from Jerusalem saying to these new believers, these new mostly Gentile believers, and saying to them, Gentiles who were not circumcised because they were Greeks and Romans and barbarians, non-Jews, and they've come to faith in Christ. And so now they've, they've come into these churches following that Paul and Barnabas planted and saying, listen, Jesus is not enough. Jesus is good and Jesus died for your sins, but Jesus is not enough. You need Jesus plus you need to keep the law and you need, if you're a male, you need to be circumcised. So this, this is the message. So Paul is trying to tell the Galatians, listen, circumcision, not circumcision, it, don't, it doesn't mean anything. But let me, let me change the verse up a little bit and see if it makes more sense to you. What if instead of being circumcision, it's the Ten Commandments? It's the law. It's the Ten Commandments. What if it's, now, because circumcision wasn't a bad thing. It's not like it's a sin issue. The, the Judaizers weren't saying, listen, y'all need to go out and sin. They're saying, no, you need to do better and work harder because Jesus is not enough. If you want to be a good Christian... You need to do more than you're doing now. You need to keep the law. You need to not eat shrimp. You need, to, you need to not go to Red Lobster after church. You need to follow the dietary law. You need to follow the days, the feast. And you need to be, most importantly of all, you need to be circumcised to show that you're a member of the covenant. But if it read the new command, the, the Ten Commandments would be different. What if it read like this? Paul Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you keep the Ten Commandments to get God's love and approval, Christ will be of no benefit to you. And I testify again to every man who tries to keep the Ten Commandments to earn God's favor, he will have to keep the whole law perfectly. You are cut off from Christ if you think that by keeping the law, you have earned God's approval. You have fallen away from your only hope of salvation, the grace of God poured out on you by faith through the complete work of Christ on the cross. If you think by keeping the law, if you think by keeping the Ten Commandments, that's a good thing. It's a good thing to, not to lie, cheat, steal, commit adultery, co covet your neighbor's house, wife, car. It's a good thing. But it won't save you. Because you can't keep it perfectly. You have failed at the law. I have failed at the law. I'm a lawbreaker. Are you a lawbreaker? Did, did any of you here on your way to church today, did you go anything over the speed limit? I mean, did you creep up to where you were going 65.1? You broke the law. You're a law, everyone is a lawbreaker. You're a thief. You stole stamps from the office or a paperclip. 
It was on some papers, a staple. You took a staple home from work. It's not the amount, is it? Our accountants, you know, when, when we were robbed, we lost all of our books. And Rick Piacini had to rebuild all the books from the bank statements uh, because they stole not only our computer, but the backup where we had all the documents. So he rebuilt. He called me and said, okay, I found where you've been embezzling from the church. He said, but then you gave it back. So he said, I don't know how to deal with it. He said, you took an extra $2.50 in your retirement check. But then you gave it back. I said, well, you know, it's not the amount that makes it embezzlement. It's the principle. So I owe the church $2.50. Y'all remember that? I'm sure somebody will. Uh, be praying for me that I'll come clean. So what is the flesh? Romans says, those that are in the flesh cannot please God. So we can't please God by our effort. That our flesh is that part of us, it's part of our nature, our, our human nature that is fallen. It wants to do everything by our own ability. It wants to do it on our own. We want to take care of ourselves. Uh, the flesh says the work of Christ is not enough, that you need to add something to it to do some good thing. Good things will make God love you more. The flesh says, if you do it in your own strength, then you offer it to God to get praise from Him. Or you, you do something good, and you do it as an offering to God so that then God will love you more. Now, this is hard for us because this is the way the world system works. How do you get a promotion at work? Not by grace. Not as a gift of Christ. You get a promotion at work by doing a good job. By showing up and taking care of business. Being a good employee. In other words, you get rewarded. In this, the world system, if you want to make good grades, if you want to be rewarded, you have to work hard. You have to apply yourself. That's the way the world system works. So it's easy for us to then take the world's way and apply it to our relationship with God. But it doesn't work that way because we can't please God in the flesh. We can't please God by our effort. We can't obligate God to us. We can't make God love us more. Oh, I went to church today. God, you have to love me more because I sat through that sermon. You know, you owe me God. And if we're not careful, we develop that mentality. I've done this for God. I've been serving God so. I've been faithful to church so. I've been giving for 50 years so. I love my neighbor who's hard to love. So God, I have created an obligation on God's part to bless me, but you can never create an obligation on God's part to bless you. God doesn't owe you. Because you cannot depend upon your works to earn you favor with God. Either you have to rest in the work of Christ on the cross, his death and resurrection and ascension of the Father and sending back the Holy Spirit to live in you, either you rest on that or you rest on your works. Your works can't save you, but resting in Christ will. 
So you have to decide what are you going to depend on? Are you going to depend on your works? Or are you going to depend on Christ's work? Are you going to, am I going to look to circumcision to save me? Or am I going to believe what Jesus did on the cross is going to save me? Am I going to believe that keeping the Ten Commandments is going to save me? I'm going to really work hard. I'm going to do a good job. Or am I going to trust in the provision of Christ on the cross? By grace, you have been saved through faith that not of yourselves, it is a gift. How do you earn a gift? But don't we make gifts? Don't we earn gifts? See, the world system works like gift giving. Like who do you give gifts to? You give gifts to people who give you gifts. And when it comes Christmas time, you're thinking, oh, let's see. Last year they gave me a $25 gift, so I need to be looking for a $25 gift for them. Because that's how the world system works. It's a you do for me and I'll do for you and it'll all work out in balance. And if you stop doing for me, goodbye sucker. The Christian life, here's how you define the Christian life. The Christian life began when we put faith in the gospel. I think this is a slide, yeah. That is the finished work of Christ on the cross. So what is the gospel? The gospel is the finished work of Christ on the cross. We believe that Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead. That's the gospel. That's the good news. The good news is we can't save ourselves. Jesus died to save us. So we put our faith in the finished work of Christ on the cross, his victory over death by the resurrection and trusting in his forgiveness. I believe he's forgiven me of my sins. He has satisfied the wrath of God and relying on his promises by the power of the Holy Spirit. So that's how you get started in the Christian walk. That's how you become a Christian is you put your faith in Christ And that's how you walk in the Spirit in the same way, is that you put your faith in Christ. Could you save yourself? Could you make yourself born again? What did you do? You believed in the finished work of Christ. And in believing with the faith that He gave you, In believing, you became born again. Who did all that work? Who born did you? Jesus. Galatians 5.5. For we through the Spirit by faith are waiting for the hope of righteousness. Justification is not possible through works. And sanctification cannot be achieved by human effort. You can't become a Christian by keeping the law, and you can't become a better Christian by trying harder. This is what's difficult for us because everything else in life works by us doing better and trying harder. The world system judges you by doing better, trying harder. We want to do better and try harder, but not in our relationship with God because you can't get better by human effort. He says, he says we're hoping for righteousness. We have the hope of righteousness. I thought we were righteous. I mean... 
Didn't Jesus, when I received salvation, didn't he make me righteous? And the answer to that is yes. We do already have righteousness, Romans 3, 21. But now apart from the law, not by keeping the law, but apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested. That means it's been given, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there is no distinction. So because of faith in Christ, I have received the righteousness of Christ. When God looks at me, thankfully, what he sees through the new birth and the regeneration of the Holy Spirit, when God looks at me, he sees Jesus. He's not judging me on my past. He's not judging me on how well I've not sinned. Because he, so he imputes to us righteousness. Now, I'm righteous, but I'm not. Because I still sin. Do you? Thank you, Debbie. Debbie still sins. Eddie's working on it, but Debbie. We, in other words, we still sin. We're not righteous yet. We're righteous, but we're not righteous. We're positionally righteous in Christ. When God looks at us, he sees us through the lens of the righteousness of Christ. So our sin has been forgiven because of what Jesus did. Now we have been clothed with, so if I die right now and I go to heaven, I'm going to go to heaven, and I don't, it's not like, well, you said a bad word on the way to church, so that bad word's going to pin you to hell because it was unforgiven. No, when Jesus came into my life, Jesus became the Lord of my life, he gave me his righteousness. So I am righteous, but practically the way I'm walking it out, I'm not righteous yet. I have the hope of righteousness. My hope is in Christ. See, we haven't, we haven't seen the fullness of it yet. And you won't see the fullness of righteousness by doing better, trying harder. It works in the world system. It doesn't work in the kingdom system. 1 Corinthians 15, 50 says, Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perish inherit the, perish, the imperishable. And when it talks about flesh here, it's talking about flesh. Your flesh, your body. Behold, I tell you, a mystery will we'll not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable, this old man, this, this old human nature must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. I, I mean, I've got to get made ready for heaven. This, this, this mortal has to put on the eternal. I have to be changed so that I can be fit for eternity. Then will come about the saying, death is swallowed up in victory. What's the victory? The victory is that now I have become the righteousness that was acquired for me in Christ. Now I'm perfect. So I'm, I am, but I'm not. I am, and I will be. 
because of what Christ has done. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The final and complete victory over the flesh is because of Jesus' victory over death. So we have complete victory. For in Christ, Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. There's a difference between doing something for someone so that they will love us for what we're doing and doing something for someone because we love them. Doing something for someone so they will love us is a bondage. When we're performing for other people to get them to love us, the problem is we never know when what we do is enough to get their love. We never know where we are. And then even if they tell us, we don't trust them. So performing to get love is always a bondage. But doing something for someone because we love them is not a bondage but a freedom. It frees you. If you love them regardless of if they love you, but you love them because you love them, it frees you. Now, here's here's the difference. Here's the difficulty. Loving someone so they'll love you back and loving someone because you love them look the same on the outside. To the outside observer, the only difference is the motivation of the heart. And you don't, I can't, I don't know your motivation and you don't know my motivation. And the Bible says, most of the time, I don't even know my own motivation. So, so why are we doing what, are, are we doing what we're doing so God will love us? Or are we doing what we're doing because we love God? John Piper says this in relationship to people. We love other people when we stop using them as a means to supply our deficiencies and instead rejoice in the divine enablement for us to supply their deficiencies. Love seeks not its own, Paul says in Corinthians 13. I try to help young people when they come in. I've I've done a lot of premarital counseling to a lot of young couples as they're getting ready for marriage. And what I try to get them to understand is they don't know what they're doing. And it's common. It's a common malady. It's, a com- it's not like they're, they're dumber than other young people. It's just that what you think is love is not love. What we feel as love is we feel eros love, which is erotic love, and we feel philios, which is friendship love. We, in other words, we feel those. And so when we fall in love, we fall in filio and eros love. We fall in love with people who make us feel good about ourselves. We fall in love with people who, who we feel make up our deficiencies. So when I fell in love with Tina, the reason I fell in love with Tina, 
It's because she was smoking hot. <laughs> and that's probably, if, if you think, well, I just fell in love with the person they were. No, you didn't. You liked the way they looked. You, you fell in love with the exterior. And then I loved the way I felt when I was with her because I knew that everybody, when they saw me with her, they said, he's winning. He's a winner because he got her and she got him. I said that at a lower in case you didn't get that. <laughs> Our love was very superficial. But we didn't think it was. We thought we love each other more than other people have loved each other. People who have loved before didn't even know love like we know love because we really know love because we're smarter than you. That's the way you feel when you're young. Right? Then we got married. Because I loved her. But you know what? I didn't really love her. I loved what she represented. I loved what I thought I knew about her. And the reality was, when we got married, I thought I knew her. I didn't have a clue. And she didn't know me. We, neither one of us knew what we were getting into. Love is is loving a person not because they meet your needs, but because you're meeting their needs. See, when you're in high school or when you're young, you say, if you love me, both girls and boys will say this today, if you love me, have sex with me. If you love me, prove that you love me by meeting my needs. And the answer to that is, well, if you really love me, then prove you love me by not asking me to meet your needs, but instead sacrificially meeting my needs. Because we don't understand it. We, we have a car. So because we're living that relationship in the flesh. So when we get married, one of the things of marriage, one of the things that can make marriage tough is that then you find out the person you're really married to and you have to love them. And they have to love the idiot you are. It's what makes marriage hard. Is that because when, when we're falling in love, we are hiding our imperfections from the other person. We want, so when they say, you want to go shopping? The wife says, you want to go, or not the wife, the girlfriend says, you want to go shopping? And you say, yes. <laughs> it's not because you love shopping, but you want to be with them. And then she says to him, or he says to her, hey, you want to go fishing? I love fishing. And what she's really saying is, I love spending time with you. Then you get married. And she says, hey, let's go shopping. He said, I'm not going shopping. I'm going fishing. You want to go fishing? No, no, I hate fishing. Well, you went fishing when we were when we were dating, yeah, I went fishing because I wanted to be with you, but I'm with you all the time. I want to get away. I'm going fishing because you won't be there. 
I don't fish. I'm just throwing that out as an example. <laughs> so we have to, we actually have to change and not love from the flesh. We actually have to learn how to love by the Spirit. Help God love. Lord, help me to love this person in their needs, not in my needs. And, and, and we don't like, it's not like we say, okay, well, I've got that figured out. I'll never struggle with that. 43 years we've been married. Still hadn't got it figured out. We're still figuring it out. We're still having to die to self. And it's a great journey. It's a glorious journey. It's a wonderful journey. God is going to use a relationship like Mary's to change you and challenge you more than just about any relationship. I tell people, young couples all the time, I say, God is going to use marriage to beat the hell out of you. <laughs> Literally. He's going to, it's going to cause the, the things of hell, the things of your nature that are of the flesh are going to come to the surface. I had a young, I had a young lady a long time ago. You don't know him. Uh, they were doing premarital counseling, and I, and I would always ask this question, is there anything you don't like about your, your, the person you're marrying that you'd like to see them change? Uh, and then I would drop the ball and say, I'd drop the bomb and say, they're not going to change, so you better get to love to like it, because it ain't going to happen. You know, they'd say, well, I don't like this. I'd say, oh, well, that's, that's the way they are. You need to come to terms with that, because that's the way they are. But, uh, Fred Avon was telling me when I was doing marriage counseling with them that, that she didn't like the way that he folded the towels. And she said, I got over that, <laughs> you know, but she said, she said to me, she said, well, you know, sometimes he belches. I said, honey, you ain't seen nothing yet. <laughs> so walk by the spirit. How do we do it? But I say, walk by the spirit and you'll not carry out the desire of the flesh. Walking by the Spirit is putting our faith in the finished work of Christ one step, step at a time by the power of the Holy Spirit that lives in us. How did the Christian life begin? By putting our faith in Christ and the Spirit of God doing the work. We didn't change ourselves. We didn't make ourselves a new creation. We came to God in weakness and His power shows up. And the way we walk in the Spirit daily and moment by moment is that we come to God in weakness and His power shows up. It becomes about His ability to empower us instead of our ability to do better and try harder. It comes about trusting God to change us because He changes something, not just our behavior, but by the Spirit of God, He's changing our heart. Paul said, when I'm weak, I'm strong. It's like saying, God, I need to walk in this. This person makes me so angry. This person is such a jerk. But Lord, I don't want to respond to them in the flesh. I want to respond to them the way you want me to respond to them. So God, my flesh wants to hate them, but by the Spirit of God, you want me to love them, and I don't think I can do it by myself. God help me. So how do you walk in the Spirit one step at a time? 
you say, Lord, I'd, I'm fearful. I'm fearful, Lord. I, in my mind, I can play 70 scenarios of how this is going to work out. And I've got anxiety and I've got worry and I've got fear about how it's going to work out. And I don't know how to, I don't know how to undo that. I'm so bad at this, God. Lord, help me to walk in the faith of trusting you. I just bring this fear to you in this moment. And I ask you, Lord, right now. So walking by the Spirit is just living this prayer. It's just as we walk through life and, and the guy cuts us off and we're driving to work. And you think, I think I could still hit him. <laughs> I'm just going to take out a tire, I think. We're, and we get so angry, we're impatient. That, that you can try all you want to say, I'm not going to be that way. I'm not going to be that way. I'm not going to be that way. Have you ever tried to go on a diet? Does it make you hungrier? You think, man, it's just 8.15 and I'm starving to death. I just had breakfast at 8. That's what the law does. Law creates an appetite. And trying to do better and try harder in your own effort creates an appetite to where the thing that you're trying to not do will be harder not to do than it was if you just ignored it. But by the Spirit of God, instead of ignoring it, we're acknowledging that we're lousy at it. We're saying, God, I come before you because I am so jealous or I'm so envious or I'm so lustful in this moment. I am struggling. God, I am so weak, but I rejoice that you're strong. I rejoice that you died on the cross for me, that your sacrifice was complete, that you sent the Spirit of God to live in me, that there's powerful power available to me. So God, I confess my weakness, so I walk in the Spirit the same way I got saved, by depending on God to do it. Yeah, amen. amen? So, that's all I got to say about that. Let's pray. Stand up. Our only hope is you, Lord. Our only hope of doing better is you. Lord, we so need you to slay the flesh within us. We need to die to self. We need to die to self, but the problem with self, he keeps showing back up. He keeps raising himself from the dead. Lord, help me to rely upon you and my weakness. Lord, I can't do it in my own strength. I couldn't save myself. I couldn't make myself good enough to be saved. I'm not going to change myself by trying harder. I can only do it by the work of Christ in me. I can only do it by the Spirit of God working in me. Jesus, I declare, I need your help. You know the things we're struggling with in this room. You know the pornography and the lust and the struggles, the addictions. You know the things that we're struggling with. And Lord, we just come to you in weakness. I can't do this on my own. I've tried. I am not enough. But you are enough. You are the all-sufficient one. Lord, I need your help. I just declare it today. Lord, I need your help. Would you just say that? Lord, I need your help. I'm weak, but you're strong.
In Jesus' name.